0: So Father, we come to you this morning, and it is our prayer that we would not just worship through song, but we would worship through giving you our whole selves. Father, your word urges us, Romans 12, that we would not be conformed to this world, and that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would prove what your will is that which is good and acceptable yes. and perfect so father that's our aim and that's our desire now don't let us be conformed to this world transform us now father renew our minds Thank you. use your word now father to shape us and to mold us to change us from from one more degree of glory to the next yes. Yes. make us more like jesus yes. Thank you. make us more like jesus So Lord, we come now to your word, we we bring ourselves under its authority, we ask that it would pierce our hearts, that it would speak to us what you would have us hear. Sanctify us in the truth of your word, because your word is truth. Edify your church, glorify your name. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll be looking together at verses 1 through 8 this morning. Um, if you are with us today for the first time, last week we kicked off a short message series, three weeks, called Gospel Family Kingdom, where we are looking at the biblical foundations that shape the core values uh, of Cross Community Church. So last week we saw our first and most important value, which is the message of the gospel. We saw last week that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the single, non-negotiable, first priority of the church. The gospel is the bullseye of the bullseye. It is the essential of the essentials, and the gospel has to be central not only to everything that we preach and teach as a church, it has to shape holistically our entire being as followers of Christ. And today we'll be looking at the biblical foundation for our second value, which is that of family. Um, growing up in western North Carolina, a little town called Boone, I grew up just a few minutes uh, from the Blue Ridge Parkway. And if you've ever driven on the parkway before, uh, particularly this time of the year, it's pretty awesome, right? Uh, it's uh, leaf-changing season, and uh, so everything's going from green to what looks like millions of shades of red and orange and yellow and everything in between on the, the warm color spectrum. And um, so as you're driving through the parkway, there's all these massive scenic overlooks. It's, it's an amazing place. I proposed to Emily at one of these spots. Uh, 11 years ago. And it's just an incredible experience. And so um, if you are visiting the parkway as a visitor during the fall, it's pretty amazing. But I can tell you as someone who lived there, if you live near the parkway uh, during leaf season, it's not always awesome. Um, Because what leaf looker season, as we called it growing up, brings is this massive influx of unwelcome traffic. And so uh, very frequently as someone who lived there, I would use the parkway as a shortcut from Boone into Blowing Rock. I had lots of friends who lived off the parkway, and uh, so I would use the parkway to get to their house. That was much more convenient. But, man, during leaf looker season, I avoided the parkway like the plague. And when you heard those words, leaf lookers, that they just kind of brought this sense of dread because you knew that meant it was going to take you 15 to 20 minutes longer uh, to get to where you wanted to go. And so uh, what happened over time, the same thing happens with the bridges that we uh, have right here with us in Beaufort is, is these things that are beautiful. Over time, the familiarity we have with them becomes over familiarity that even breeds contempt. What was beautiful to me had become burdensome. This was no longer a majestic sight that I wanted to pause and take in. This was now a nuisance and an inconvenience that was preventing me from where I wanted to go. And if we're not careful, friends, the exact same thing will happen to us in our relationship with the church. For many of us, we have become over-familiar with the church, and what happens is the beauty becomes a burden. What happens is what we once saw through the lenses of captivated hearts, we now see it as constraining. And we we no longer see it through through lenses that are being captivated by beauty. We we now see it through lenses of perpetual critique. You know, for many of us, unfortunately, we we tend to uh, shop for churches and evaluate them the same way we buy cars and evaluate restaurants. I'm looking for a church, I'm looking for something that's got all the features that I want, something that meets the needs of my whole family, something that isn't going to require a whole lot of maintenance and isn't going to cost me an arm and a leg. And then when I find one, if, if it meets my needs or if it doesn't meet my needs, I'll go leave a review. If the service met my needs and it's, man, it's five stars, that was solid. If it was just okay, it's three. If it was a bad experience, we leave it at one. A lot of us have what we could call a Goldilocks approach to the church. Man, we're, we're looking for the one that's just right. Looking for the one that's just right. So what we'll kind of evaluate the spirit of a church. We'll visit one like, that one was a little too hot. Those people are crazy. We'll go to another one, seems stiff and rigid. That one's a little bit too cold. I'm not sure anybody there loves Jesus. Looking for the one that's just right. We'll evaluate the truth, the commitment to truth of a church. Well, that that one was a little bit too hard, a little pushy, a little challenging. That one was too soft. Doesn't seem like they're going to say the hard things. Looking for the one that's just right. And instead of being captivated by the beauty of the church, we become perpetual critics of the church. And, and unfortunately, what happens is, is some of us find ourselves, like uh, even as we commit to a church and, and stay there for the long haul, sort of on this mythical Holy Grail quest for the perfect congregation. And since that doesn't actually exist, many of us never make a full commitment at all. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, famous German pastor and martyr who lost his life under the Nazi regime. He wrote in his famous work, Life Together, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. When the church moves in our minds from being a family that we contribute to being a product that we relentlessly evaluate and critique, what we end up missing is beauty. Many of us, we see the church kind of as a casual friend, We know that we need the church, we know that it has an important place in our life, but at the end of the day, we know that we're not flesh and blood, we're going to be too careful to get too close because eventually we may need to move on to a different group. Others of us, and I want to be sensitive to this, we see the church as a foe. The church has caused you or your family serious spiritual harm, or even if you've not been one who's received harm from the church, your perception of the church is that it's an inconvenience that will prevent you from going where you need to go. And so you keep it at a safe distance. But what I want us to see today from First Thessalonians chapter two is a picture not of the church just as a casual friend or as a foe, but a picture of the church as family. And like all families, it's a family that is dysfunctional at times, but it is beautiful nonetheless, because even in our imperfections and in our inadequacies, that's where we see the perfection and the beauty of what Jesus calls his bride and his body named the church. So if you're following along in your notes this morning, what we're going to find in 1 Thessalonians 2 is that the church is a family together on mission. We're a family together on mission, and we visibly display the good news of Jesus Christ, not just with the words that we speak and the words that we preach, but with our actions and our deeds, with our whole lives. And so so today, it's an invitation for us to rediscover the beauty of the church is to be captivated once again by something that many of us have become over-familiar with and to see once again the vision for what the Lord intends for his people to be. So from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read together here beginning in verses uh, 1 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst, everyone say midst, in the midst of much conflict. So Paul shows us first this morning that gospel families persevere together in the face of great suffering. This is what families do together. Gospel families persevere together in the face of great suffering. Paul starts out, verse one, for you yourselves know brothers. This is family language, band of brothers language that Paul is using. You yourselves know brothers that are coming to you was not in vain. So we saw Paul use very similar language last week, 1 Corinthians 15. He said, God's grace towards me in that passage was not in vain. He said, I'm not going to waste my life. God did not waste his grace on me. I'm going to give all of myself to Jesus Christ. And in the same way, he's telling the church in Thessalonica, my coming to you was not in vain. We did not waste this visit. We did not waste our our ministry here. So our ministry was not wasted. It wasn't without result. In verse 2, Paul recounts how he had been persecuted in his ministry in Philippi. Now, this story uh, goes back to Acts chapter 16. It's a pretty amazing story. Uh, Paul and Silas, they are imprisoned for their gospel ministry, but at midnight, they begin to pray, they begin to sing, they're miraculously freed, and then the jailer and his family are converted to faith in Jesus Christ. It's, It's a pretty incredible story. And so even after suffering imprisonment for the gospel, Paul doesn't fold. Paul doesn't take an early retirement because following Jesus got hard. He continues to press on. He continues to labor for the sake of Christ. And that was what his ministry in Thessalonica and to these people was about. In spite of what he faced, he says, we had boldness in our God to to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The church looks most beautiful, most glorious, and Jesus looks most beautiful, most glorious, not when we're following him because everything's going well. It's, it's in the middle of the mess when it's hard and it's difficult and we're being pressed from every angle and we're being persecuted by the world. When we still lift up our hands in praise and say, Jesus Christ is enough, that's what makes this church look beautiful and that's what makes Jesus look glorious. It's when we can praise him in the middle of the mess. You know, many of us haven't given uh, probably much thought to this over the last uh, month or so because... Predictably, the news cycles change, and we we forget so very quickly uh, just the immense persecution that continues to be faced by our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. And man, if you you follow some of these testimonies and and stories and just listen to how their faith has endured, particularly this year, even before the Taliban took back over, Uh, there's this story that broke in July about how many of them uh, had made the difficult decision to register themselves as Christians with the government. And, and you might hear that and say, man, what's, what's the big deal there? Because in a, in a predominant Muslim, predominantly Muslim country where it could cost them immensely to be labeled as followers of Jesus Christ, they put themselves at risk for the sake of subsequent generations. And one of these who was interviewed about why they would make this decision, he said this, he said, what about our children and grandchildren? Someone should make this sacrifice so that future generations can openly call themselves followers of Christ. This is what gospel families do. We suffer together in the midst, in the middle of the mess, in the midst of the furnace of affliction. What we see among gospel families all through the New Testament is that when the storms of trial come, we don't set sail and skip town. We anchor down and we ride it out. This is what we're called to do together. This is the beauty of the church. Christ looks beautiful and the church looks beautiful when in the midst of conflict and suffering, we come together for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Verses three through six, Paul goes on to say, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, not with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So we see second this morning, the gospel families champion integrity in every sphere of ministry. And there's three specific spheres of ministry that Paul lays out for us where we should champion integrity as followers of Christ. Paul shows us first that we should champion integrity in our message. Beginning of verse three, he says, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. Why does theological accuracy matter? Why does doctrinal precision matter? Why does attention to the nuances of scripture matter? because we should be making great efforts as followers of Christ to ensure that the message of the gospel is not being corrupted. He says, our message, our appeal, it does not spring from error or impurity. So we should work to faithfully uphold uh, the truth and the word to ensure that it's not corrupted. Paul also shows us that we should champion integrity in our motive. He says, our appeal does not spring from any attempt to deceive so Paul says, no, no words of flattery here. This is not sleight of hand. This is not bait and switch. We, we are not here just, just preaching to appease others. We are preaching ultimately to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And you know, this is one of those, when you look at, at the three things Paul lists out here, motive, that, that it's easy for us to kind of sit back and say, but you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to judge motive, isn't it? I mean, it seems a little bit easier to to judge, you know, the content of a message. It seems pretty straightforward, like that was true or that was false. What can be much more difficult is to judge motive because conceivably someone could preach the right message but do it from the wrong motive. But what I want us to see in the context of these few verses is that it might not be as difficult as we think. And one of the ways we may be able to tell with more accuracy the motive of someone is by the content of their message and the methods, third, that Paul shows us that we should employ. So we champion integrity in our message, in our motive, and also our method. As you're evaluating my sermon, my teaching, as you're evaluating anyone's sermon or teaching, here's a really simple question that you could ask that can help you judge motive. Was this message striving to please man or to please God? It's pretty simple. Were we striving to please man or are we striving to please God? And here's how we can typically tell, pretty simply, whether we were trying to please man or trying to please God. Those who are trying to please man, there are certain subjects they will absolutely never approach, and there are certain sins they will absolutely never address. They will preach the gospel up to the point that it becomes comfortable and might invite some pushback, and then they move to the side. And man, that, that is preaching to please man. When, whenever we will only say the things to flatter people and to, to satisfy crowds, as Eugene Peterson, he said, he said, being a pastor is the easiest job in the world if you are content to satisfy a crowd. It really is. I mean, if, if that's all we commit to, is, it's saying the easy things that will never challenge us, that will never make us uncomfortable, that will make us feel comfortable about living in the sin that is actually rebellion against God. And Paul says, we are not these things, At great cost to themselves, they continued to preach the gospel. They continued to challenge the believers and the prevailing culture. Paul would flesh this out a little bit more in his letters to Timothy, his younger protege. 2 Timothy 4, he warned Timothy of a time, he said, where people would not tolerate the truth. He said time would come where where people would not tolerate sound teaching. What they would do is accumulate for themselves teachers who would scratch itching ears. Teachers who would say the things just that they wanted to hear, that would never challenge them. And so listen, hear me this morning when I tell you, if, if that's really what you're after, it's like, I mean, there, there's certain subjects you just think, man, we should never stay away, we should never uh, approach because they're, they're uncomfortable, certain sins we shouldn't address because they're uncomfortable. Here's the reality. You will find the teacher who won't address and approach those things. You, you will. You, and I, I don't mind saying out loud in this community, you won't have to look far. Like you, you will find it, but what you need to understand in light of what Paul shows Timothy is those teachers are actually God's judgment against you because you have refused to tolerate the truth. Whenever God's word holds accountable false teachers, it never just holds accountable the false teachers. It's also the congregations that tolerated them. We have a mutual responsibility. I have a responsibility to declare to you the whole counsel of God's truth. You have a responsibility to receive the whole counsel of God's truth. And so we have to be willing to uphold the integrity of the message of the gospel, even when it's uncomfortable. In our message, in our motives, and in our methods. True, authentic, faithful shepherds among God's people. Their reward is not in large crowds. Their reward is not in financial gain. Our reward, church, is that God gets his glory. And that's what we're after as a body of believers. There's no quicker way for a community of believers, for a family of, of followers of Christ to lose its integrity than to lose sight of the glory of God. That's what we have to keep as our ultimate vision. Verses six and seven, We'll reread verse six and we'll read verse seven too. Paul says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So third, Paul shows us that gospel families display humility and gentleness in discipling relationships. Man, I, I think this is just the perfect balance to what we just saw in the verses before. So, so as followers of Jesus, do we challenge? Yes. Do we say hard things? Yes. But healthy gospel families do not guilt and shame one another into change. Listen, I love what Paul says in in verse 6. He says, second half of verse 6, he says, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now, I want you to just think about this for a second. Like This is the Paul that's writing these things. The Apostle Paul, who has witnessed the resurrected Christ, who has been given this special commission. This is the Apostle Paul through whom, by the end of his ministry, the whole continent of Asia had heard the gospel. I mean, single most effective Christian probably who has ever lived. Maybe Billy Graham's a close second. I don't know. But, I mean, but just massive gospel impact through the ministry of Paul. I mean, this is Paul who was preaching the gospel, was stoned for preaching the gospel. They thought he was dead and he gets back up and goes back in the same town and keeps preaching the gospel. This is like Cape blowing in the wind. Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Like we saw it last week, right? Like I worked harder than all the apostles. It's that Paul. So if anyone had the authority to walk into a church on a Sunday morning and say, you're gonna do these things, it was Paul. And does he do that? No, and I love the picture he uses. You now, I'm going to speak like guys in the room. I think maybe this makes us a little bit uncomfortable because we don't quite see our place in, in this conversation, but, but this is what Paul says. He says, no, 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 like, like a mother with a newborn. And this is the, the type of picture that we see. Gospel families display this humility and gentleness in discipling relationships. It's, it's difficult to imagine a more intimate and tender and comforting relationship than a mother that's nursing her newborn child. I mean, there is just a bond uh, physiologically, emotionally that, that is forged there that, men never quite goes away. And Paul says it's this type of tenderness, it's this type of love, it's this type of compassion that should mark our relationships with one another as followers of Jesus. And, man, listen, it, it takes time, it, it takes patience, it takes being careful with one another, but healthy gospel families do not guilt and shame each other into change. Challenge, yes. Say hard things, yes. But we recognize guilt and shame we're taking care of at the cross. Yes, yes. The trouble is what we recognize about guilt and shame is that we know that they're good short-term motivators. Like if you're struggling to read your Bible, I could get up here this morning and go on a rant about that, make you feel really bad, and you would sit there and go, I really need to read my Bible more. And you know what? That would get you to about Wednesday. And then you'd be right back in the old patterns. Now, we're not driven by guilt, we're driven by grace. We recognize the, the intimacy and affection that, that's been developed in our relationship with Christ, that He has done the slow work of patient work, uh, of seeing us being molded more and more progressively into His image. And this happens sometimes, I think, especially in a newer church. We've seen this the last five years. You know, someone will come in kind of with the posture of maturity, been in the church my whole life, you know, know a lot of Bible, have taught some classes. What I really need. I need a, a group of other mature, deeper, godly people who who understand the word and, and listen. I don't want to discount any of that or need to grow in our understanding of the word, but true maturity in Christ—it's not just about recognizing your own need for the word; it's about recognizing the needs of others as well. Amen. Amen. And, and like a mother with a newborn, being willing to to nurse that child to maturity—patience. Ray Ortland, um, I want to write this. Is in your notes this morning? I encourage you to write this down. This is really good math, I think, for the church. Ray Orland has has said that, that gospel plus safety plus time equals a church where anyone can grow. That's what we should be after. Gospel plus safety plus time equals a church where anyone can grow. It's the mother nursing the newborn. It's tenderness and intimacy and affection and it's patience. Allowing the space to grow and to mature and to develop as we strive to become more like Jesus. This is what should be on display in our discipling relationships within the church. We'll close out this section here, verse eight. Paul uh, goes on to say this. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. So fourth, this morning, Paul shows us that gospel families are marked by self-giving affection in both, maybe circle that word, in both preaching and living. He says, we, we share the gospel of God, not just with our words, but also our own selves. Gospel families, we don't just share the word with words. We share the word with our lives. It's a holistic understanding of, it's what we sang about earlier. It's a a giving of ourselves, not just of songs, not just of sermons, but actually of ourselves to each other for the building up of the body. Belonging to a church, it's the ultimate declaration that you're no longer living for yourself. It's, It's a public statement that says, hey, I have found something, not just in God, but in this community that's greater than just my own needs. And and I'm I'm no longer just going to be a a critic. I'm no longer just going to be a consumer. I'm now going to turn around and contribute to this family that's welcomed me. And we recognize our role and our responsibility in building up that family together. It requires this all-hands-on-deck type of mentality for every single one of us as followers of Jesus. You know, uh, just me and Jesus, that might be a popular cultural sentiment, but it is not a biblical one. Church can be wherever I am. That sounds great on a bumper sticker. It gets lots of positive attention online. It is totally disconnected from the reality of the New Testament. You buy yourself on a boat, it's not church. It can be worship, but, but this word church, it has an actual meaning. It has an actual definition. It has actual responsibilities and requirements of us. It's self-giving. It's not just about you receiving a sermon. It's not, it's not just about someone preaching a sermon. It's about giving of our whole selves for the building up of the body. Listen, it would have been princess bride inconceivable to, to the first century church to, to hear someone in our context say that they could follow Jesus without the fellowship of the church. That would have been asinine to them. Like it would have looked at you like you had three heads, just me and Jesus church as Reverend, am. Like what on earth are you talking about? Like, it's totally disconnected from what the Lord uh, has laid out for us in his word. I want you to turn with me uh, in your Bible, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And and I want to look at this passage because, man, this is our vision. Like, this is what we're after. This was the church in its purest form at its inception. This is what God desires for us to be. This is the type of self-giving that should mark the body of Christ. Acts 2, we're going to read together, verses 42 through 47. This is the fellowship of believers. This is what this gospel family looked like. This is what they were doing. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles, and all who believed were together. Everyone say together. Together, together means together. Not isolated, not on my own. No, they were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Yeah, ask the question this morning. Among a gospel family, the affection that should mark our discipling relationships, what is required in a discipling relationship? Two things. I just encourage you to write these down this morning. What is required in a discipling relationship? It's the shared word. That's the first thing. And a shared life. That's the second. It's a willingness to share the word and it's a willingness to share your life. You yeah, know, man, Alex spoke to this so well just a couple of weeks ago. We can make that this whole discipleship thing way more confusing sometimes. You know, all that's required to lead someone else is that you be a few steps further ahead than they are. And then this was discipleship through the New Testament. It was Paul turning around to other brothers and sisters and saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Not, not follow me because I figured it out. No, no, follow me because I'm following him too. Like, like, come along with me. Let, let's together just imperfectly continue to stumble forward towards Jesus. I think we would have such a healthier understanding of each other. I think we would have such a, a healthier understanding of discipleship if we all would just, just go ahead and come to the understanding that, if we're being honest, every one of us, you, me, all of us, we're really just a bunch of hot messes who are trying to get to Jesus. Like, every single one of us. We are such kinder human beings to each other when we remember this. Like We're all a mess, and we're just trying to get to Jesus. A sh- The shared word and a shared life. This is what's required of us. And that's the picture that we see in Acts chapter 2. So this is what I want to do for the last few minutes of our time together this morning, is kind of springing out of Acts 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, um, last week, you know, we, we told you we we're going to do this during this message series. Last week, uh, we, we wanted to use kind of as we're, we're starting to get to the end of the year, part of this message series to celebrate where the Lord has brought us as a church family and then also to, to cast some vision for where we believe he's taking us next. And um, those of you who were here with us for family meeting a few weeks ago, Sunday evening, man, we just celebrated God's faithfulness to our church family for five years. I don't have time to recap all that this morning, but man, we just celebrated the faithfulness of the Lord. I mean in every aspect of our church family we uh, know that our, our our mission as a church it's the same mission Jesus gave in Matthew 28 it's just to preach the gospel and make disciples and our our strategy the way that we're going to do that came straight from Acts 2. We're going to gather grow give and go. We're going to gather together for worship just like the first century church it was in the temple and in homes. We're going to grow together in our knowledge and understanding of the word grow together as a community of believers. We're going to give of our whole selves our time, our treasure, our talent for uh, the building up of the body of Christ, the advance of the gospel, and then we're going to go. We're going to take the gospel to all nations. We're going to do this day by day, trusting that the Lord will add to our number day by day those who are being saved. And, and so in, in light of all this, you know, we're, we're, it's crazy to think about that. I don't know about you, this is insane to me, that we're coming to the end of 2021, because in my mind, it's still March 2020. It's been a long month, right? Like, we've just ne- never quite shifted, yet here we are. Uh, like almost two full calendar years later since all the, the chaos really ensued at the beginning of next year. And, and this is what I wanna challenge you to do this morning. You know, I, I, my family's a lot like yours probably. You know, Thanksgiving's gonna hit in a couple weeks and then man, it's just gonna be sprint to the end of the year, right? You know, we, we've got uh, being a transient military community. A lot of you will go back to your, your true home and then, you know, some of us will travel and visit family. And, and before you know it, like we're, we're gonna wake up and it's just January 1st. We're in a new year, and then it's another school you know, calendar year, and then work commitments and everything else. And, and this is what, what I want to challenge us to recognize this morning. Your spiritual growth, it, it will be um, occasionally incidental, but it will never be consistently accidental. Let me say that again. Your spiritual growth will be occasionally incidental, but it's never going to be consistently accidental. And here's what I mean by that. You and I are most certainly going to have just, just kind of those unplanned God moments. You know what I'm talking about? Like you, just the, the random stranger that you meet, the, the unplanned thing that happens in worship or in your home or in your community group, that's going to be a light bulb moment. You're like, oh man, your, your, your understanding is going to open up a little bit more. Your, your affection for Jesus is going to deepen a little bit more. We are definitely going to have those moments. But, but true spiritual development and maturity, it's like the mother with the newborn child. It takes time and it takes great intentionality, and it takes commitment. And so, so just in light of those four phases, gather, grow, give, go, I want to give you some challenges as we uh, look to a year ahead, and not just the next year, but really the next season of ministry for our church family. It's, again, hard to believe we're closing out this year, our fifth full year of public ministry, and, and we've uh, focused on a few basic things these first few years, and now we, we see the Lord uh, leading us in some new directions. I'm going to talk about some of these today and some of these next week. So, so the first one is really, really simple today. is as, as you consider your ongoing spiritual growth and your involvement in the family of the church, I want to challenge you to make some commitments in the year ahead. And we're thinking about them now because it's about to be crazy for the next several weeks, amen? amen. Be thinking about it now. Listen, don't, don't forsake the basics. Be committed to the gathering. Be committed to the gathering. Families have to consistently gather. We need time with one another. And that, that's not just in worship. Again, that's Acts 2. That was, that was in their homes. It was not just shared uh, room one day a week. It was a shared life seven days a week. We need this collectively, both in here and outside these walls. Let's continue to commit to the gathering. Think about things. as of you are your covenant members with us, about making things like family meetings a priority so that we can consistently come together. Hebrews 10, all the more as we see the day of the Lord drawing near, as we have nights of prayer and worship throughout the year. Man, make a commitment to be a part of those things. Whenever we have fellowship events, let's, let's make commitments to be a part of these things and continue to see our family grow closer together. In terms of growth, man, maybe it's just taking a simple step of joining a community group. And listen, hear, hear my heart on this this morning. I, I want you to recognize, and I, I see this, I recognize this, life is crazy for most of us right now. Like, man, I feel it myself, and, and I hear it from you, and I see it. We know, I know the vast majority of us right now are just trying to tread water. We're just trying to survive. I mean, and it's, it's like we, 2020, you know, it's like life put ankle weights on us while we were in 10 feet of water. And then this year, it just threw you another 75-pound plate. Good luck. And I recognize most of us are trying to tread water. And listen, this is why we need the fellowship of believers. It's hard to do this alone. It's very, very difficult to do this alone. Man, if it means that you can be a part of that group once a month, praise God for that once a month. Let them pray for you. Let them encourage you. Re- receive the care. Receive the prayer and the fellowship of other believers. But uh, next year, we're we again share this at family meeting, excited to be rolling out uh, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies for deeper understanding of the word. Man, maybe the Lord is impressing upon your heart to lead one of those groups or to be a part of one of those groups. Be thinking about that now. Be praying about that now. What does it look like? As we saw a few weeks ago, Titus 2, men discipling men, women discipling women. We wanna continue to see that grow within our church family. Maybe the Lord has impressed your heart to disciple others. Well, uh, February this past year, we had our first ever core group leaders training. If you've got a heart and a passion to, to disciple two or three others, we have tools to equip you for that. And so we want to help you with that. We want to give you those tools and show you a framework for what it looks like for you to shepherd others to maturity in Jesus Christ. When we get into the realm of giving, man, we just continue as a church to be so faithful both in our service and our financial generosity, and we celebrate that because the Lord calls us to give of our whole selves. You know, I shared this at family meeting a couple of weeks ago, and this is amazing to me. You know, uh, you, you've heard uh, the 80-20 rule, how uh, typically most organizations, it's 20% of people doing 80% of the work. And, and unfortunately, churches don't tend to be exempt from that. But, but man, I praise God, our church has pretty much flipped that stat on its head. Uh, best as we can tell, but we've got, uh, you know, it, it, I think closely right now, about 300 adult members. And, and, and we, we saw, man, just over the last few weeks, we've got right now at least 75% of our adult members faithfully serving on a ministry team. We praise God for that. That we and we have seen develop here just a church family where it's all hands on deck. We want to give of ourselves for the building up of the kingdom. You continue to be extremely financially generous. Um, Shared last week, and we've closed on the financing for our uh, building project. And then a week from tomorrow, we will receive our notice to proceed from our builder. This is really good news. This is really really exciting news for us. But as excited as we are about a new facility, we don't want to slow down ministry either. So um, th- this is uh, something that our elder team came together on a couple of weeks ago. You know, we um, sat, every year we, we pretty much close out the year with some sort of year-end giving challenge, and uh, after much prayer and consideration and deliberation for about five minutes, um, we determined that the Lord was just leading us to do the same thing we did last year, because it was really, there was no need to reinvent the wheel, and, and this was suggested by a, a couple of the guys, and, and so we want to give you this challenge as we close out this year. Two very simple challenges in our financial giving. One is that we would uh, increase our general gifts by 10%. We, we like that challenge because we believe that meets every person in this room on any level. So, man, if you are giving $20 a month right now, our challenge to you, give $22 a month. To just be faithful to do that, like to, to take that step forward. If you're giving $200 a month, we challenge you, man, give $220 a month. Let's take a step forward and finish this year strong so that we can continue to do uh, ministry full on in the year ahead. we have got uh, gonna share next week again some new ministry partnerships, some missionaries that we're supporting, a couple staff positions that we would love to be able to bring on as our church family continues to grow. And just like everything we've ever done as a church, that's gonna require us to continue faithfully giving. And then the second challenge is just to make an above and beyond uh, gift to our For the Gospel campaign. Let's continue taking the steps uh, to move into our permanent facility. We're excited for that. Um, We celebrate what the Lord's done in the past, but we're more excited about where he's headed us in the future, amen? The Lord's not done with this church family, so let's continue to press in in the giving of ourselves. And then finally, the challenge is to go. We gather, we grow, we give, but then we go. We go for the sake of those who have not heard Christ. Again, you'll hear more next week. We've got some new kingdom partnerships we're developing. Maybe it's going to look like you joining one of our local ministry outreach partners, FCA, uh, Beaufort Young Life, Radiance Women's Center, but we've got so many local opportunities to connect you to. But but the the most simple challenge this morning I would give you is is this. Who is the one person that the Lord has placed in your sphere of influence that he's calling you to go after? Who will you pursue in the year ahead in the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ has pursued you? Who are you going to run after the same way that Jesus ran after you? Maybe you just want to write down their name this morning and begin praying now. That there would be opportunities for you to to share not only the gospel of God, but your life with them. And and listen, church, it's so important that we have both. Not just the shared word, but a shared life. Because here's what I've come to learn after a couple decades of following Jesus people are much more willing to let you share the word when you have been willing to share your life. People are are not going to be really willing to to see an open Bible if all they ever see is a closed door. Are we willing to not just open up the word of God, but to open up our homes, to open up our lives, and with great hospitality to pursue people in the same way that Jesus has pursued us. Us. But the challenge for us, bottom line, is this. It's to give our whole selves for the building up of the church. Yes, yes. It's not just to consume and critique, but to contribute. It's not to see the church as a burden, but to see, once again, the beauty of the church. And again, I just fear maybe some of us have just become so over-familiar that we've lost sight of the beauty. And I want to close. This is a longer um, Uh, quote from Charles Spurgeon in a a sermon he preached called The Best Donation. And and I want this to to help recaptivate our imagination a little bit this morning of what the church is. And, And so much of this is drawn straight from this passage in 1 Thessalonians 2 this morning. Let's remember the beauty of the church and what it is the Lord has called us to be a part of. This was his exhortation. He said, give yourself to the church You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I'd found the one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. As I've already said, the church is faulting. But that is no excuse for your not joining it if you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back. That's really good news here's the key for the church is not an institution for perfect people but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers the church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong it is the fold for Christ's sheep the home for Christ's family as Shay mentioned a little while ago, um, tonight we'll have our last covenant membership class of the year. And what I'll do at the beginning of that class is I will make the same two promises that we've made in every class for five years up to this point. The first one seems a little bit like a letdown, and the first promise is that we will let you down. Like, let's just go ahead and get that out on the table. Whatever thought you 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 had of man, this is this is this is the right one. This one's just right, Goldilocks. Whatever thought we had, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. We will let you down. I will let you down. Our staff will let you down. Our elders will let you down. Someone will let you down. That's promise number one. Promise number two, but Jesus never will. We are not a perfect church, but we do worship a perfect Christ. And so it's our prayer that, man, even through our flaws, even through our imperfections, we would not miss the beauty of family. Because imperfect as she is, Jesus still calls the church his body and his bride. And Jesus loves his bride. We don't worship, we're not a perfect church, but we do worship a perfect Christ. And so it should be our prayer that through our imperfection, through the imperfections and dysfunction even of this family, that the perfection of Jesus Christ would be seen and that it would reign here. So will you bow your heads with me as we close our time together this morning? As we prepare to come to the table uh, for the Lord's Supper, we just invite the Lord to to search our hearts. And just like the believers in Acts 2, we we do this together weekly. Whenever we gather together, we break bread to remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. But just because we do it weekly doesn't mean that we should take it lightly. So let's just ask the Lord to search our hearts. Let's, Let's confess sin. So, man, what what is in your life that is inconsistent with God's word? What words, what actions, what behaviors, what habits, what is of you that is not of Christ? Let's confess that and lay it at his feet this morning. That we ask the Lord for a heart of true and genuine repentance, that we would turn from our sin, we'd leave our sin behind as Christ lays hold of us, we would become less and He would become more, that we would give all of ourselves for Him because He has given all of Himself for us. So, fathers, we come to this table this morning, we come confessing, we come repenting, we come rejoicing in the victory of your son, Jesus Christ, over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Grateful for what he has accomplished for us, that we can receive freely by faith. So today, once again, we turn from our sin, we turn to you, confident in what you've done for us. Father, as we confess, as we sing, as we repent, just let it all be pleasing to you, a sweet fragrance and aroma to you in this place. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.